0: Today, we are in Nashville, Tennessee, hence the guitar on the guest here with me. So we're talking to Sam Cooper. And Sam, tell everybody what your passion is. I'm a one-trick pony.
1: It's about music.
0: All about music. And you have loved music and played music for how long? I I mean, you know, I don't want to get your age out there, but...
1: (laughs) Okay, I'll get my age out there. I don't mind. I was born at the end of 1952. Okay. So as this taping, I'm 63.
0: Which is amazing because as we established, you have possibly the best hair we've ever seen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and if it wasn't about the music, it would be all, all about the hair. That's right. That,
0: this would be a show about your passion for hair outside of that. <laughs> but talk to everybody about how this passion started for you.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I didn't realize until a few years ago that it, it wasn't just the love of music, it was a love of sound. Um, I was one of those kids that was always beaten on a garbage can lid and, and a kitchen table and, and, and I, I was fascinated by sound and music in particular at the time. And uh, in the first grade they asked us, who wants to learn drums? So I, my hand shot up with some of the other kids and they gave us some sticks and a, a book with some drum rudiments in it and, and uh, a practice pad. This was in the 50s. The practice pads were just simply slabs of rubber, on on a wooden base, and I quit after two weeks because when you're in the first grade and you're learning to play drums, you want to hit a damn drum. You want to hear the drum. Yeah, yeah. right, right. So that kind of that kind of uh, set me off to realizing a little bit about music and rhythm, but I didn't continue uh, practicing drums. Although I learned a lot of techniques about drumming because I was just fascinated, you know? So um, it kind of rested with that, but I, I didn't realize that I had, a, luckily, a gift for hearing things musically. So uh, in the fourth grade, again, they asked, who wants to play an instrument? And I raised my hand, and I didn't know what to select, so I said trumpet. <laughs> And what they did, you know, which I'm sure they do in a lot of schools, they would sit you down with somebody at a piano and they'd play a note and ask you to match it to sing the note. And that was effortless for me. So uh, they said, okay, you can play trumpet. You know?
0: I don't know how people do that, just so you know, but that's why it's your passion. Yeah, and well, not mine.
1: it's funny. I, I didn't think of it as being anything special at all. And I never got trumpet lessons, but I played in the school band and I just gradually. Beg- became a little bit better at playing and a little better at uh, learning how to read music and at the same time um, and this is kind of a strange thing but as luck would have it uh, my divorced parents would, uh, would send me back and forth between where they lived and my, I grew up in Richmond Virginia but my mother had moved back to New Jersey and I went to visit in around Easter time of 1963 and I had a kind of a, a, a black sheep uncle in the family who really never followed through on accomplishing anything. And on that particular trip, uh, one of the things he had quit doing was taking guitar lessons. So he had this cheap guitar and he gave it to me. So uh, of course I, I was totally absorbed with it, but I had no clue what I was doing. So I would have to watch people and they'd Show me how to tune it, and they'd show me their finger formations, and I'd try to play chords, and I'd listen to the radio, and i I did everything by ear back then. So, and there was
0: no YouTube. No, there was Imagine no. Imagine there was YouTube for you? Are you kidding? I had
1: to wait until they came out with portable cassette recorders so I could record the radio because I couldn't afford records.
0: Right. You know. So
1: mm-hmm. you know. I and 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 it was a constant struggle with that because. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of times uh, recordings, especially back then, they would speed up or slow down recordings uh, for various reasons for broadcast. And every time they do that, it would change the pitch of the song. And I'd be constantly trying to figure out why am I out of tune? You know. Oh,
0: that is so adorable. <laughs> well, I just didn't.
1: You know, I. I, I it, these were things that afterwards I learned. And uh, I. I. You know, my my parents didn't really get that I had this passion for music. Uh, not that they uh, totally discouraged it, but they really didn't get it. I never got any lessons. Uh, my father my father did buy me a trumpet, but um, as far as guitar, which was really much more of a passion for me, and I would sometimes practice for literally like four or five hours at a pop. Um, he he. He went to his grave in two thousand five, still saying guitar was just a fad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we move on, because I'm really, I'm dying to hear like, I'm dying to hear music like you're talking about. So I want to see if I can hear what you're hearing. Can you play something for us? Well,
1: mm-hmm. what kind of music do you like? Cause I like. I'm everything. a baby boomer. I grew up hearing a lot of stuff.
0: I think I'm gonna like everything that you like. I think we have the same style music.
1: Okay. Well, I, I like a lot of styles of music, okay? Me too. Can I sing you a love song? Sure. Okay. I wrote this song. I'm very fortunate. One of my co-writers uh, on a lot of my material was a guy named uh, Chris Gantry. I'm still friends with him. And uh, Chris is known for having written Dreams of the Everyday Housewife for Glenn Campbell. But he—he's one of the early outlaws of music row in Nashville, having gotten here in the '60s. And uh, Chris and I have written an an intensely wide variety of music. But this this is one of the love songs, and uh, it was inspired by my wife. Yeah. I'd keep the world from spinning round when we're in each other's arms if I could make all the clocks come to a stop cause loving you each second feels so good if a moment was A thousand years, I still couldn't get enough. If eternity is good for you, baby, that's how long we'll be in love. I can't forget when we first met there was magic that couldn't be denied our destiny was meant to be we couldn't talk we stood there hypnotized if we could cheat And steal more time That just wouldn't be enough If eternity Is good for you Baby That's how long we'll be in love They say love lives on And everything else is gone If a moment was a thousand years That just wouldn't be enough If eternity Is good for you Baby That's how long we'll be in love That's how long We'll be in
0: love. (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome. So, I'm wondering then how you ended up with this start in Nashville.
1: Well, when I, when I, uh, Went on this cruise uh, earlier in the uh, beginning of uh, 2006. Uh, It was a cruise that was sponsored by Delbert McClinton, and he had all his friends and these amazing, amazing musicians, and most of them were based in Nashville. Uh, A couple of months later, um, I had business in Richmond, Virginia, I, I was living in New Jersey at the time, but I had business in Richmond, Virginia, and I decided I was going to pay a visit to Nashville. So uh, I, I came planning to spend a week here and just check it all out and see all the stuff that makes mu- m- makes it Music City, USA. And uh, the first night I went downtown to the Honky Tonks on Lower Broadway and got got schooled on how good guitar players can be that aren't making much money but they're out there and, uh, and realized this is a pretty heavy town. And then the next day I, I went and joined a songwriter organization and uh, that became a great jump-off point for me to be able to network with people and find out about all the songwriter nights and everything. Um, one week turned into two weeks and, and then I, I drove back to New Jersey, and I flew my family down, and on the third week, we bought property. <laughs> I just knew. You, you just know. knew. You just I, know. You just know when it's yeah. time.
0: So what kind of, I know that you run Sam's Jams at, uh, at a place in town, and the name of that place is?
1: Bobby's Idle Hour.
0: Bobby's Idle Hour, and you do that on Wednesdays, right?
1: Yes, for, and it's a daytime thing. I do it from noon to eight. Okay. It's uh far as I know, the only daytime songwriter activity.
0: And what is it about? What what do people do there?
1: Well, uh it's open up to all songwriters of all levels to come and play on Music Row. And uh, Bobby's Idle Hour happens to be a legendary place. They've been around for decades. Uh, some of the biggest names in in country music, people like Merle Haggard and Bobby Bear and people like that all hung out there and and you know chris christopherson johnny cash all these people you know and uh, it it there's there's ghosts there now i've been fortunate enough to play the ryman auditorium where they talk about all the ghosts of all the great uh performers that have played there and the ryman it's called the mother Church of country music and i have played the bluebird cafe where they you know a lot of people got their starts but for me, Bobby's Idle Hour is the real deal homeboy place to go. And it's not on the tourist maps. Uh, you have to hear about it. You know? But we do get people that hear about it. I, I, I've i been hosting Sam's Jams for a while here, and we get uh, songwriters from Australia, from South America, from Africa, from China and Asia and, and Europe and... Uh, um canada mexico i mean everywhere and uh when they come to town they hear about it they come in they know they got a place where they can play and 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 everybody has a a great camaraderie there you know it's as as much as there's competition in nashville amongst uh people in the music business that's one place where everybody realizes that everyone's a story not just the people who sold a million. And uh, they treat each other really well. Yeah, it's
0: well. That's awesome that I can share that information with my audience because you know there's so many people have a passion for music, and so many people come to Nashville and they would come check that out. So,
1: yeah, it, it, it's wonderful f- for me because I've played most of the songwriter venues in town that are established and been around, and and some of them are wonderful. They're just great, but some of the better ones you have to have already like passed the mustard with whoever's running the show mm-hmm. with me i i kind of i kind of sur- survived all that stuff but i don't think everybody should should necessarily not have a chance um it's kind of a cool thing when somebody comes in that's never played anywhere except their bedroom yeah. You know? and sometimes they're not that good but That's how you get good, because playing in front of people is worth a hundred rehearsals.
0: Absolutely. And
1: also learning how to deal with real-life situations, being able to make a mistake and recover. You know, if you forget your words or you play a wrong chord, it's not the end of the world, like some people think. And And perfection is really the imperfect things that happen that make it spontaneous. So I kind of embrace that, and I th- I think that uh, that's the pervasive av- attitude of uh, most of the people there. Yeah. You know?
0: Where do you see your career going now? Like, what <laughs> what do you want?
1: Well, my answer would be what career? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a lucky guy. Okay, I have my own private studio, so I can record uh, pretty much on on levels that. Are as good as a lot of big studios, and I and I have recorded hundreds of songs. I also uh, love the uh, opportunity at my age now to be able to you know if I hear a song by somebody and I think it's great, and and I find out they don't have a demo of it to be able to use to try to pitch the song. I love that I can help them, and I'm not in it for the money. I've turned down money for helping some of them because I knew they couldn't afford it. You know. And I, I'm good with that. You know, I'm lucky. I'm not a starving artist. So it allows me to have a little bit of freedom. And it all, that, not being a, star, a starving artist also allows me to be independent enough to do things the way I feel as opposed to uh, sucking up to the powers that be in the music industry. And, you know, some of them know what they're doing. But I'll be the first one, and I'll get in trouble for this, but I'll be the first one to tell you a lot of them don't know a thing. They just act like experts, yeah. And if it, if it weren't the case, a lot of the decisions would have been made differently. I mean, the Beatles got turned down by thirty-four labels before they got signed. Okay, and uh, the Gambler by Kenny Rogers sat around uh, not becoming a big hit for ten years before before Kenny took it and turned it into a monster. So all those people that said no and they're trained to say no, I get it. Sometimes it's the wrong place, the wrong time, whatever. But there are no absolutes in the music industry as far as the actual music. You know, What I think sucks, somebody else might go, wow, that's really cool. I love that. It's I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. So
0: what do you think you've learned about yourself through your musical journey here?
1: Uh, I've learned to be good in my own skin. To not worry if... What I do doesn't float everybody's boat, you know. Um, I I love so many styles of music because I I'm a baby boomer, and I, I I've said this a thousand times to people. When I grew up, the uh, the radio you could turn on a station, and not touch the dial for an hour, and you could hear Johnny Cash next to James Brown next to Little Richard next to the Supremes next to the Beatles next to Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, and You could hear all that sometimes in just an hour without touching the dial. So you got exposed to a lot of stuff, you know. Um, I love Frank Sinatra as much as I love some of the the biggest groups in the world that are uh, in pop music and rock and whatever, you know. And I love a lot of different styles. So I'm lucky that I get to embrace whatever I love.
0: And we're definitely going to put some more of your music at the end of this episode, so people can see more your style. So well, I think that's you. that's awesome. What kind of advice would you give to others about pursuing a passion?
1: Well, you, you gotta have instincts. And you don't know what greatness is unless you see greatness in whatever it is that you're pursuing. So for example, if I were in artist development and I had a young artist, um, I might tell them, don't play for a couple of weeks. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assign you a list of names to look up on YouTube, and I want you to see if you get what they're what makes them stars. And I would go back to like Louis Armstrong, yeah, you know, and and go through the Andrews Sisters and Fred Astaire, and 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 uh, work my way to Louis Prima or, or or Louis Jordan or you know any number of the old old pre. Korean War acts and, and, and then, and then take them further up, you know, go to Little Richard and, and, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and, and, uh, Muddy Waters and, and just keep going. You know, the Rat Pack, you know, I mentioned Frank Sinatra. If, if people, if, uh, of any, any age, not just young people, but if people of any age can get what gives them that star quality that when they when they do what they do they command the room there's no denying that they're stars there's nothing mediocre about what they do yeah what
0: is what is your opinion on commanding a room what's your thoughts on that
1: um i tell you I, i'm not real popular for thinking that it's not the audience's fault if they're talking i'm i'm more of the belief that it's it's the performer's job To be so good that they have to stop and pay attention. Doesn't always work. There, there have been times where I thought, oh, I'm killing it, and then people are just like talking right over me. Then there are other times though when you can hear a pin drop, and that's your job. Um, There was a young guy from from Louisiana who who was in town a few years back, and one of my friends wanted me to hear him, and you know, not like I'm a big deal or anything, because I'm not. Okay but he wanted my opinions on, on this kid, and the kid did a lot of things wrong. And uh, I won't go into details or anything, but I suggested to him that he needs to play in front of a lot of people. And if he can, go find yourself one, one or more bars that'll let you play for four hours a night, okay? Even if you gotta repeat songs. And your job is to get people who are more interested in getting drunk or late to stop what they're doing and pay attention to you. Wanna feed your tip jar and wanna know where else you're playing. So that they'll follow you. And when you get that good, then you got the potential for for becoming a a star or somebody some level higher than where you're at. But that's that means you gotta get out there if you can every night. And you just gotta do it over and over until you get so good that there's no denying how good you are. There's no mediocrity anymore. Yeah.
0: What is your favorite memory in music history? I know that's that's I know yeah. it's like asking an artist what their favorite painting is. You know, what's the first one that comes you know, to mind?
1: I, this is funny, okay? Because living in Nashville, you have Nashville moments. There are so many major things that can happen at any time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you an obscure one, okay? Mm-hmm. For me, this is a personal Nashville moment. Love it. Um, I was I was at a party, and uh, it was in a building where Steve Cropper had his office and a little studio. Now I don't know if you know who Steve Cropper is, but he he, he co-wrote "Dock of the Bay," and he played with Booker T. and the M.G.s. He was in he's, he's in the Blues Brothers. Okay. He's he's produced unbelievable artists and played on multi millions hundreds of millions of sold records. Great guitar player, and uh, I mean, he—he's he, the guy that uh, when Sam and Dave go uh, play it, Steve on Soul Man, he's the guy playing the licks, you know. So he's—he's he, he's really a legend. And uh, there was this party, and it was the last night of being in that building before they were going to tear it down. So a lot of people were there paying homage to to Cropper. Uh, down in the studio in the basement. and there were literally like dozens of people that came down and just wanted to say hi and wanted to take pictures with them and all that. And I'm sitting on the couch there and Cropper kind of knows me but kind of not I'm just another guy, okay? I know him though. I've, I, you know I'm totally in awe of him. So we're sitting there or we're hanging out downstairs and at some point, there's nobody left there but him and me. And the whole time he's been playing songs on, uh, on the monitor speakers of his studio and they're all songs that he had something to do with. So he started getting into playing air guitar and mouthing lyrics to all these songs and they weren't all hits that were big but they were all things that he played on. And he's playing air guitar licks that he played on the recordings and and and, and he's entertaining me. Like I was a big audience, and it's just me and just him. I I thought, wow, this is just one of those moments that, you know, I couldn't have paid for this to happen. And it doesn't matter that he's playing air guitar. I hear every note. I hear. I I get every emotion. And uh, and he's he's living these notes. He's living this music. So
0: <laughs> that had to be amazing.
1: Yeah. He, he. Well, Steve Cropper was an influence for mm-hmm. me. So yeah it was it was beyond amazing to me yeah
0: before is is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share either about your love for music your passion or Nashville
1: oh gosh the uh, problem is I could probably go on for days right right I, uh, I'm really lucky because I've, I've got a pretty complete life I'm a, I'm a happily married man my wife is unbelievable and and she puts up with me on top of it all and I got a decent place to live. I'm not a starving artist. I, I have enough to be able to cover my bills. Uh, I'm lucky. I have all these guitars over here and more even. These are just some of them, you know. And I, uh, I, I can make music pretty much on my own terms. And I'm among some of the coolest people in the world. They're part of the music community, you yeah, So they get a lot of it, you know, and. Uh, It just makes, uh, it it makes me realize I only have two enemies, and that's time and sleep.
0: (laughs) Would you like to rock us out of here with a song of yours? Yes. Let's do it. I would
1: love to do it. And uh, let's see. This song got me to my, my last appearance at the Ryman Auditorium, Okay. Well, my baby loves to call me her good time machine. She says that I don't break down or ever run out of steam. But when things stay broke around the house, she says this ain't no way to live. But I say, baby, I ain't no handyman. A lover's what I is. Cause ain't no good with branches, ain't no good with a drill. I ain't no Timmy Toolman, I ain't no Bobbyville. Don't know how to weld, don't know how to solder. If you want something fixed, call your brother or your father. There's one room in the house, you know where I'm a master craftsman in home repair. When it comes to the boudoir, no other tricks. There ain't nothing in there What your man can't fix. No, I'll fix you up, baby. <laughs> Broken window in the kitchen, sink has got a leak. Papers peeling off the floor, the front row's got a squeak. Basement's getting flooded, there's a hole in the roof Well, I can't do nothing about them if you want to know the truth There's one room in the house, you know where well. I'm a master craftsman in home repair When it comes to the boots, why, well, I know all the tricks There ain't nothing in there what your man can't fix And well, you're saying, what will you do? Clean baby, you know better. But if your bed falls apart, I'll screw it back together. Oh, honey, you know what I'm talking about. I come with a guarantee. I... ain't got a truck If you got a flat tire where well, you're flat out of luck I can't lay bricks Or build a wall with cinder blocks I ain't working in no quarry But I'll make your bed rock There's one room in a house and you know where I'm a master craftsman In home repair When it comes to the boot no other tricks there ain't nothing in there what your man can't fix When it comes to the boudoir, no other tricks there ain't nothing in there what your man can't fix There ain't nothing in there what your man can't fix There ain't nothing in there what your man can't fix
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 States in 90 Days Lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning
1: and I just keep moving along.